Today's scripture comes to us from John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a time of prayer once more. Father, as we delve into these two verses together, and Father, we do humbly admit that this is an area in which we fail miserably uh, to love one another as you have loved us. So God, through this message, uh, would you convict us and would you rebuke us if needed and remind us of the Savior's love so that uh, we will be able to love uh, like you. So God, we commit this time to you. Thank you, and in Christ, let me pray. Amen. You know, can't believe that it's, it has already been more than five weeks uh, since Ava, my second daughter, uh, came into our lives. And many people warned us that going from one to two is definitely the hardest. And we've been finding out, man, that is so true. Especially when you already have a soon-to-be three-nager who happens to be a boss lady who likes to run the show at home that only makes things a little bit more complicated. Thankfully, based on what we've seen so far, Ava is not a boss lady. And we've been thanking God for that because having two boss ladies in the same home would have been really intense and challenging for both me and Shine. But Ava is such a diva. And I'm not saying this because it rhymes with her name. And as we get to know her more and more, she's such a diva. And that makes things a little bit more uh, difficult for us. And she's been really keeping us up at night because she's very needy and she wants to be held all day. And after Ava was born, you know, people were congratulating me and Shine. Congratulations. You know, Ava looks so cute. Uh, She looks like you. And Shine is actually saying she looks more like me. So we're still trying to figure that out. And we can't wait to meet her. But but there was a point in which people stopped congratulating us. And and especially to me, people have been saying my deepest condolences. It's the end of your life now. Like, say goodbye to hanging out in a social life. And Hoon once told me, through Facebook, such loving words, boss lady and diva girl, your life is over. <laughs> Hand in your man card, expired. That's what people have been you know, telling me, you know, welcome to the, to the end of your life, welcome to your death. And, and it has been true to a certain degree and to a certain sense. And since we became a family of four, you know, things have been really crazy, hectic, messy, chaotic, And despite lack of sleep, you know, we're hanging in there. But in the midst of all this beautiful mess, God has been teaching me what it really means to love well. And God has been stretching me to become a more loving husband and father. This morning, we will be focusing on a very important topic, love. To be more specific, loving well. The command to love one another as Christ has loved us. We'll be considering three points as we move along through this message. Point number one, understanding the newness of the new covenant. Point number two, the call to live out this commandment. And point number three, the power to live out this new commandment. Let's jump into the first point, understanding the newness of the new covenant. 
In verse 34, Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And you might be wondering after hearing that, what is new about this specific commandment to love one another? I mean, isn't love, loving God and loving others, one of the most important themes in the Bible? Here is Jesus implying that the Old Testament doesn't mention anything about loving others. What about Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What about the Ten Commandments, which is mentioned in Exodus chapter 20? To sum it up, the first four commandments is all about loving God, whereas the the Commandments of 5 through 10, you know, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not uh, bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, those commandments 5 through 10 is all about loving others. What about the first and second greatest commandment, which is mentioned in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, where Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As you can see, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, God commands his people to love one another. And this commandment has already been given. Huh. Then why is Jesus referring to this specific commandment to love one another as a new commandment? commandment. How is this a new commandment? Now, with that in mind, let's go back to verse 34. Let me read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, I want to draw your attention to the following words, just as I have loved you. Why? Because these words add a new meaning to this commandment. Herman Ritterboss, in his theological commentary on the Gospel of John, writes the following in order to highlight the newness of the new commandment. And I quote, the new commandment of which Jesus speaks is given further definition and explanation in the words, as I have loved you. In Jesus' love, the commandment comes into play in a new salvation historical way and receives a new grounding and by his spirit, a new possibility of fulfillment and in content, a characteristic definition. Already in the foot washing, Jesus gave his disciples the example of that love. And not only in the, in the ethical command, imperative sense of the word, but above all, all, the indicative sense of how he, as the one sent by God, represents his love to the world. Warren Wearsby also offers a helpful insight in understanding the newness of this new covenant. And I quote, the word new does not mean new in time because love has been important to God's people even from Old Testament times. It means new in experience, fresh. It is the opposite of worn out. Love will take on a new meaning and power because of the death of Christ on the cross. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, love would have a new power in their lives. See, Jesus doesn't just say, love one another. He becomes very specific in this new commandment, right? Jesus specifically commands us to love one another just as he has loved us. 
Now he's calling all of us, you and me, as followers of Jesus Christ, to love like him. Then the problem is this. You know, we're sinners by nature, and then the way we love and the way God loves is radically different. You know, God's love is unconditional, whereas our love is conditional. I mean, isn't it easy to love those who are lovable? Isn't it easy to love those who are part of your inner circle? Isn't it easy to love those who love you back? Isn't it easy to love those who never disagree with you? I mean, the list goes on. You fill in the blank. You get the point, right? But Jesus is here not calling us and commanding us to love in, in that manner. He's calling us to love just as he has loved us. And here Jesus is not talking about love that is based on your preferences. Jesus is talking about love that is sacrificial, love that is selfless, a love that comforts, love that heals, love that encourages, love that builds up, love that restores, love that rescues, love that saves, love that is constant, unchanging, and unending. He's talking about that kind of love, which he will show the disciples as he goes to the cross. He's talking about that kind of love. Now let's jump into the second point, the call to live out this new commandment. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here what Jesus is saying is this. This distinguishing mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is love. You know, there must be something radically different about the way you love. If you consider yourself to be a follower, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. When an unbeliever looks into your life, they should be asking these questions. How do you love like that? And why do you love like that? And I wonder how many of us have been faithful in, in, in obeying this specific command to love one another. And I know that this is an area in which that I fail miserably. And I wonder if I talk to those who are close to me, the closest to me, especially ones who are still yet to profess their faith in Christ, I wonder if they will say the same things about me. You love differently, and why is that? How do you do that? I think to fully grasp the radical nature of this new commandment, we need to take a closer look at the setting in which this uh, new commandment was given. You know, what just happened uh, before this commandment was given and what will eventually take place afterwards. And with that in mind, we need to delve into earlier parts of John chapter 13, and all the verses leading up to this new commandment to, to better grasp and appreciate uh, what is going on here. Now, this is the setting. It is the night before the crucifixion. And Jesus is sharing an intimate meal with his disciples. I mean, it is his last meal on earth with them. And during this last supper, what does Jesus do for his disciples? He washes all of their feet. He knows that Judas will eventually betray him. He knows that Peter will eventually deny him three times in public. And he knows that none of them will stand by him on the day of crucifixion as he's nailed to the cross. 
and that they will eventually all abandon him and that they will be scattered. Nevertheless, despite knowing all of this, Jesus still washes their feet. And as it is mentioned in John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus loves all of them to the end. Here we see true love in action. You know, in Greek, it actually says, I'm I'm referring to John chapter 13, verse 1, he loved them to the uttermost. And Herman Ritterbrass, he comments on this, and he writes, it was love to the last breath and love in its highest intensity. So before Jesus gave this commandment to his disciples to love each other as I have loved you, I mean, this is what just took place. He just washed their feet, and afterwards, as as his heart becomes troubled, he actually tells his disciples, one of you will betray me. Now everybody's shocked. Like, really, Jesus? One of us will betray you? Now, if you look at verses 21 to 23, we are told that the beloved disciple, which is John, he was reclining at the table close to Jesus. And now Simon Peter, he's shocked. Like, who, like, like one of us will betray Jesus? Really? So Simon Peter actually motions uh, to John because John was right next to Jesus. And, and Peter is like telling uh, John, ask Jesus. Ah, he probably gave him the look. Ask him. Find out who. So John asks Jesus, and Jesus responds by saying, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And then Jesus then gives it to who? To Judas, right? And here Jesus reveals the true identity of Judas. And John is completely shocked. But at this point, only John knows, because only he was able to hear what Jesus said. And after taking the bread, he, tell, he, he actually tells Judas what you're about to do, do you know, go, on, go and do it quickly. And, and John sees Judas leaving the room. But at this point, no one knows but John what is going on. He's mind blown and he can't believe it. I'm sure you guys have all played the game Mafia. Yes? And I'm sure... This is a game that can uh, cause anger. And in college, I've seen a couple almost break up because of mafia. <laughs> and, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't know how to play mafia, it's a game where you, you all get a card and, and, and certain letter or number designates whether you become a mafia or a cop or angel or, or a doctor or the rest of your civil, civilians. The goal of the game is if you're mafia, you try to kill everybody. If you're a cop, you try to figure out who the mafia is. If you're a doctor or angel, you try to save everyone, especially the cop. And if you're a citizen, you're just there. Um, hopefully that the cops will um, convince you to vote for the mafia. And, and that's how the game ends, right? Um, if, if, you can, if you can call out the mafia and catch them and kill them off, right? This is like one of those moments where John is looking at Judas as, as Jesus reveals his identity. It's like, remember, if you've ever played mafia, like the, the least person you expected, right, suspected, becomes mafia and then you find that you know that moment you're just like mind blown and this mind shift and then you replay all the different scenarios as if why he or she said that or did that right it's like it's like the same moment here and and john can't believe it there's a shift in his mind and he's shocked but notice what jesus says after 
Judas leaves the room. Talks about three things, starting from verse 31 and onward. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also be uh, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little, verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by all this, uh, by, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is going on? Not the words that John expected after finding out about the true identity of Judas. What does Jesus talk about here? He talks about the glory that is to be revealed, that will eventually be revealed on the cross. And he also talks about his departure. I'm not going to be with you guys anymore. And then, and then he goes on to say, in this context, after revealing Judas' real identity, love one another as I have loved you. To John's surprise, Jesus doesn't rebuke Judas. Jesus doesn't get angry at Judas. Instead, Jesus talks to the remaining disciples about this glory of God that will be revealed. And in light of that, he calls them, commands them to love one another just as I have loved you. At this point, Jesus knows what will eventually take place the following day, that he's going to go to the cross. And on the way to the cross, he'll be humiliated, he'll be mocked, he'll be ridiculed, people will spit at him, they will beat him, they'll make an example out of him, they'll put a crown of thorns on his head, and then he'll be nailed on the cross for all to see in utter humiliation. They will put, it to, they will put him to shame and that he'll be put to death for the sins that he has never, ever committed. This is what he has in mind. Because disciples at this point cannot truly understand the gravity and the radical nature of this command, just as I have loved you. But after the cross, it'll all all make sense. Jesus is talking about this kind of love. You know, up until this point, being a disciple of Jesus Christ meant following him wherever he went. And if you look at um, Jesus' ministry here on earth and, and all the disciples who followed him, I mean, they literally did everything with him. They were with him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. They did everything with him. So in a sense, they did life together, and there was intimacy and physical proximity. But Jesus is saying, From this point onward, especially after my departure, after death and resurrection and my ascension, you won't be able to follow me. But how will people know that you belong to me and that you are my disciple? By the way you love, as you have been loved by me. So Jesus is saying from this point onward, the true mark of discipleship will be love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another just as you I have loved you concerning this Herman Ritterbrough's comments in his commentary to the gospel of John and I quote everything will depend on whether as disciples they love one another 
In this mutual love lies the criterion of the identity by which they will be known to the world, not in order to win the world's admiration by, by their irreproachable conduct as a separatist group, but so that by their mutual acts of service and self-denial, they may evoke the image of Jesus in his self-sacrificial love for sinful humanity. Again and again, everything is referred to his love as the great underlying secret from which the church not only derives its unity, but also as that which alone can redeem the world from its lostness for God and for one another. Jesus is talking about this kind of love. The love that he will show on the cross. True love. Now John Piper, concerning this passage, and, and in light of the fact that the mark of discipleship will be no longer, um, it will no longer boil down to just physically following him, but that the fact that it will be now marked by love. This is what he comments, and, and, um, and this is really helpful. He says, imitation is a very dangerous way to limit the Christian life. Because when Jesus says here, love one another just as I have loved you, Jesus is not telling us, go and imitate me. Jesus is not saying, go and copy what I've done for you. Because you and I, we, we, we both know that we're sinners by nature and, and, and left to ourselves. And, and, and even, if, even, even on our best days, you know, we can't love like this, right? So the answer is not simply try harder and to imitate, you know, better and try to copy it better, right? Repeatedly, that's not the point. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're born again. That means now the Spirit of God lives in you. You're no longer in darkness because God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are in the light. And if you're in Christ, you are in love. You're abiding in his love. And to... to, uh, Further this point, let me uh, ask you to join me, me to, to, as you turn to John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And after that, we're going to read 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have, you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause of stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you look at verse 8 again, it says, this new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And Christ went to the cross, I mean, where he conquered the enemy once and for all. And if you have put your faith in him, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, he has given you a new heart. A new heart that beats for him. A new heart that wants to, to live for his glory. A new heart that wants to further his kingdom. A new heart uh, that has a desire so that you want to become more and more like him. And one of that area is to love like him. So if you've been failing miserably when it comes to loving others as Jesus has loved 
you and me, us, the answer is not try harder. And it's not about copying and imitating, but it's all about remaining in him, abiding in his love, going back to the cross to be reminded of our Savior's love for us when we were so undeserving, and yet he loved us, and he still loves us the same. Even when we break his heart over and over again, we need to go back to the cross to be reminded of that kind of love so that we can go out and love like him. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God is love. And if you're a Christian, and, knowing, and, and through faith in him, you are in Christ. That means the love of God, this love of God, there's an inflow of this love of God. And then the more and more you remain in him, and as you continue growing in him, there will be this overflow of the love of God. And there will be a nat- and at the end result of this, a natural outflow of that love. So the key is to remain in him and abide in So the question that we need to ask ourselves honestly is, am I a real disciple of Jesus Christ? Is my life marked by this kind of love? Do I love like Christ, my Lord and Savior? Or are we just pretending? Perhaps we've been really good at just faking it, right? And our problem is this, that we tend to love others as long as it fits our schedule, as long as it's convenient for us, as long as it doesn't cost us anything, as long as it's just one-time thing, as long as it doesn't require this ongoing commitment, as long as you fill in the blank, you get the point, right? You know, it's easy to love only when we feel like it. It's easy to love only when we're having a good day on our best days. It's easy to love when we have our free time, right? When we're available. But Jesus is not talking about loving that way. And sadly, this is how we tend to love, right? Because our love is conditional, selfish, and limited. And left to ourselves, we're going to continue to love like this. But praise God that God remains faithful and that he now lives in us and And through his spirit, he now enables and empowers us to live, not only just live this way, but also love just as Christ has loved us. So if you're, maybe maybe after hearing all this, maybe you're discouraged (laughs) because I can't love like that, and I haven't, and I'm not sure if I will ever be able to love like that. Maybe you're wondering, is there any hope for us? How can we possibly continue to remain faithful to this call and live out this new commandment? to love each other as he has loved us. That leads to my next point, last point, the power to live out this new commandment. John chapter 15, verse 9. In your 
Jesus here gives us the answer to that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Remain in me. And then and only then will we be able to love like him. Do you find God beautiful? Does what God in Christ has done for you on the cross, does it it compel you to love like him? Are you captured and captivated by the beauty of what he has done for you on the cross? The love that he has shown us on the cross? See, Jesus not only calls us to love like him, but he also enables and empowers us to love like him. He doesn't just give us the call and leave us there, but he also supplies us with the power gospel, Christ himself, Christ living in us. Pastor Scott Sauls, he writes, love must become a person to us, Jesus, before it can become a verb by which we love. So when Jesus says, love others, love each other just as I have loved you, he's not talking about here we're not talking about talking Jesus, right? We're talking about connecting with Jesus. And we're not talking about imitation, but rather we're talking about participation, demonstration, and manifestation. As John Piper helps us understand that as he unpacks that verse. And the point is this. We love because he first loved us. First John 4, 4, 19. And let's be honest left to ourselves, even in our best days. And if we were to try as hard as we can, to the best of our abilities, we can love this way. You know, I recently had a um, struggle with a family member. And it's not shine. I'm not trying to be um, passive aggressive here. (laughs) Um, It's unfortunate because... um, because of a miscommunication and misunderstandings and different expectations, you know, we, this family member and I, um, which time we got into a big, you know, argument and in the heat of the moment, a lot of harsh words were um, exchanged and we also ended up receiving a lot of, you know, words that were just piercing to our hearts and very toxic to our souls and things got really awkward um, after that. And I really tried to process everything objectively, like my thoughts and my emotions in light of this this difficult situation, but I just couldn't let go of certain things that this family member told me and my wife, especially during this difficult transition period. And I was just so angry and frustrated and, and fed up. And in a sudden turn of events, this family member uh, quickly went from, you know, lovable to unlovable. And I started coming up with a long list, a very long list of reasons, you know, not to love this family member, to justify my own anger and frustrations. And my, and my head was screaming, you know, how dare you? You don't deserve my love from this point onward. You are done. And I was still fuming with anger, but at that moment, you know, God started to intervene, and I'm so glad that he did. That's mercy and grace right there. 
because my mind was racing towards the wrong direction. And it was bound to end up in a very bad place where there's nothing but hatred. And my heart was becoming so hardened to the point that there was no room for love and compassion. And as, as my heart was being consumed with anger, you know, I tried to justify my anger. And in my sinfulness, I strategically uh, was looking and waiting for that next moment to unleash my fury. It's like, oh, just give me another opportunity. Like, and I'm, I'm going to get you. Obviously, not to reconcile, not to embrace, not to love, but to strike back. And I realized, wow, I am so sinful. <laughs> I am so sinful. <laughs> but this is precisely when God started to rebuke me with Scripture. And Scripture started flooding into my head. And Ephesians chapter 4 especially, in verse 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and, and give no opportunity to the devil. And I was like, God, sun's going to go down today. The sun is going down today, and the sun will go down tomorrow too. Like, please don't give me this first right now. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those here. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. You don't deserve any talk that is seasoned with grace. And then verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I was like, God, I know what needs to be done, but, but not now. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to do this yet. So I kept having this Jonah moment where God is asking me to do this, but I'm like, no, I'm going to run away. I'm not ready for this, right? And then he came back at me with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, that love chapter, right? Verses 4 through 8. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And I was like, God, are you serious? Like, I don't want to be patient right now. I don't want to be kind. (laughs) You know what this family member has done? I have a list here, and I don't want to endure this. I want my justice. And that was my response. Like, God, I know what needs to be done, but not now. Please leave me alone. But he kept coming back. So I was like, God, you need a timeout. Please leave me alone, not now. I'm deeply affected by what happened. But I do believe that God often uses difficult people, difficult situations, to make us more and more like him, but not only that, to to challenge and stretch us to, to, to learn to love like him. God's uncomfortable grace. I remember preaching on that a while back, but when it happens to me, I don't like it, right? God's uncomfortable grace. And one pastor said it this way, God loves you so much, he accepts you as you are, but God loves you too much to leave you as you are. Grace justifies and sanctifies so that's, been, that's what's been going on in my life for the past few weeks. It's been emotionally and mentally draining, but I'm learning as I come face-to-face with my own brokenness and sinfulness and my inability to, to honor God in that situation and to, um, to glorify him by just loving and forgiving this family member, 
But at the same time, there's grace, and the gospel reminds me, reminds me that I have a Savior um, who loved me unconditionally. So now, I'm, now I have this waging war, this, this ongoing tension. It's like, ah, I know what needs to be done, but it's just like I can't do it. Is there anyone in your life that has been draining the life out of you? <laughs> Are you frustrated and fed up with anyone in your life right now? Do you have difficult and toxic people in your life? And and are you having difficulty loving them as Christ has loved you? Have you been emotionally and mentally drained because of that person? I have difficult people in my life, and I'm sure you do. But this is the thing. Sometimes love really hurts. Love really hurts. And love can get very messy and chaotic. Love can be very costly. Love can be very inconvenient. There are times when loving others involves making ongoing sacrifices. But when we come face to face with our own brokenness and our sinfulness and our own selfishness and our unwillingness to love in this way as Christ has loved us, What else can we do but to go back to the cross and to be reminded of the depth of our Savior's love for us? That when we were so undeserving, that when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God came to our rescue. And everything has changed, right? We're talking about loving others with that kind of love. So I've been intentionally reminding myself and asking Shine to help me, especially in those moments when I feel so like worked up, like we got to go back to the cross, go back to the cross, go back to the cross. Isaiah 53 verses 2 to 7, prophet Isaiah paints a picture of just how much our Lord and Savior loves us. And and he writes in these verses as he was prophesying about Christ sacrificed um, on the cross, and this is what he writes. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one whom um, from men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, w- and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before his ear is silent. So he opened not his Even as he was hanging on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now we're called to remain faithful to him, which means we're called to obey this new commandment, to love each other just as he has loved us. And on our own, simply impossible to obey this and to live this out. This is why we need to continue to go back to the cross and remain in him, abide in his love, abide in him. 
so that we will be able to live in, in this way and to love like Christ. And here's my prayer as I end um, for all of us, including myself, I really need this, who will continue to struggle to love like Jesus and who will continue to struggle um, when it comes to loving others, especially difficult people. And, and, and this is my prayer for all of us. And I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, concerning the love of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, for uh, whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power and through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I really pray and hope that as we continue to grow up in the gospel to be more and more like him, that our knowledge of him will deepen, but not only that, our, our um, understanding of his love for us will, will also deepen. Because we're talking about love that is as vast as the ocean. Love which knows no bounds, right? And it is my prayer that, that this unending, this unfailing, this abundant, this fathomless love of God, this love which surpasses all understanding. Why would God lay down his life to love people like us? This kind of love, let it compel you and me, compel us to love like him to love others, those around us, even those who persecute us, even those who give us grief, the difficult, toxic, even, even those people to love as he has loved us. And I pray and hope that, that as we do that more and more individually in the places that he has called us, whether that be your family setting, your work setting, your school setting, but individually and we as a community, let's continue to live out this commandment so that people will know that we belong to him and that we are his disciples. And may God have mercy upon us so that this will become more and more true in our own lives. Let's pray. As we respond uh, to the message, can we just take a moment? And I want you to honestly ask yourself, are you frustrated with anyone? Is there any difficult people in your life that you have a hard time loving? Perhaps God's been convicting you to, to love them. But you've been telling God, he or she does not, doesn't deserve my love. And I've been there. ask God to have mercy upon us so that as the cross becomes bigger and bigger in our own lives that the God will continue to enable and empower us to embrace, to forgive to love the, the, the difficult people that God has placed in our own lives so that they can see Christ living in us as we learn to love them just as Christ has loved us. I know this may feel like an impossible commandment to obey, especially in the heat of the moment, 
But, but our Lord and Savior, He does also supply us with the very power that we need to live this out. So let's take a moment to, to respond to the message and ask God to have mercy upon us. Let's pray. Father, forgive us if we haven't been faithful to this commandment to love those around us, including the difficult ones, just as you have loved us. Father, knowing that the mark of discipleship is love, that we are called to love like you, Father, would you have mercy upon us for this is an area in which we fail miserably, that I fail miserably. So we ask for your mercies. And through your spirit who now lives in us, would you continue to enable and empower us as we continue to fix our eyes upon you and cling to the cross to be reminded of the depth of your unfailing love for us, that God, that we will be able to live out this commandment with humility, with grace, so that people will know that, that we belong to you when they see the way we love, the way we reflect your love. So God, we are so so thankful for your faithfulness, the work that you are doing in our lives, and teach us to love like you. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings at this time. If you're visiting us today, please do not feel obligated to give.